bless you, we thank you for this. We, we get to worship you. We get to gather together in public and, uh, and meet together as a, as a church community. Uh, we, we pray for this morning, we this morning, that your, that your now word would, would get released and uh, people be inspired about uh, following you and uh, being a disciple of Jesus. Amen. Uh, so again, a huge, huge welcome. My name is Steve. And we were in the middle of a, a sermon series looking at what we reckon is the greatest sermon ever, ever preached. And it was the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus. Um, I, we were with someone this week and uh, she said that she was part of a church and her, her vicar did a, a sermon series on 1 Peter, which is a, a small book in the New Testament. And uh, it lasted two and a half years, this one particular sermon series. So we've been at it for about six weeks. We will finish. We will attempt to finish before two and a half years. But um, it's a fantastic, it's a fantastic uh, discourse that Jesus says. And we're looking at, it's an upside down view of, view of the world. Some of Jesus' teaching then and now is totally countercultural. He was, he was the, the, a radical revolutionary, even at the time. And now some of his teachings are, are so scandalous in some respects. And what he talked about, which was countercultural then, we believe still provocative to today's culture. Uh, can I just talk a little bit about the week? Um, it's been a year, hasn't it? 2016 will probably go down as a monumentous year. Um, with Brexit, uh, many of us, uh, many of us stayed up all night, overwhelmed and provoked and uh, grumpy the next day, um, uh, and this week as well. What the bigger perspective is that God is still sovereign; yeah. His crown is not slipped; He's not shocked. He didn't say to Gabriel on Wednesday morning. Gabriel, uh, uh, Angel, Gabriel, I thought, I thought Clinton had it in the bag. What's, what's happened? He's not, he's not scandalised. Um, what is true, and if you look at the Bible, throughout, throughout the Bible, God used uh, bullies, tyrants, prostitutes, uh, even a donkey, to bring about his purposes. Uh, and so the God that used those types of people can, can still do that today. Uh, God is not caught out by this. Um, what we do see is this bigger picture of uh, the political spirit, if you like, is being shaken and shocked. That we can't trust in, in people, we can't trust in institutions, in society. Uh, last week, Andy uh, Pedar. He, he spoke about not trusting in idols. And uh, for many people, we've trusted in politics of the day. And, uh, and so now we can't trust. And so maybe God is doing something. Just maybe God's, he's still got the crown on. He's still sovereign. Maybe he's still, still at work. So we'll, we'll see how this all plays out. Uh, we're still shocked. We're still concerned. We're still thinking, how the hell is this going to play out? Uh, but he's still shocked. Still, still uh, as we talk about the Sermon on the Mount, we're, we're going to look at a, 
a subject today which uh, is one, probably one of my favourite favourite subjects to look at, uh, but we don't really talk about it. So I mentioned earlier that the uh, the vicar spent two and a half years talking about one Peter in chapter. I could probably spend a few sermons talking about this. Um, so to the irritation of some and the delight of other, others, the godly discipline of, of fasting it shows up in every nook and cranny in, in the Bible. And what we see is that this subject, subject of fasting is really important for us as followers of Jesus. Everywhere you find fasting, you find prayer. Everywhere that you find people fasting in the midst of uh, difficulty or uh, in the midst of chaos, the impossibility, <coughs> what you see is the people of God who, are pray, who pray and fast. You see the miraculous invading the impossible. You see supernatural intervention permanent, and permanently diverting uh, interventions. And forgive me, this all sounds a bit grandiose and a bit, you know, ethereal. But in other words, God tends to show up in his glory and his power whenever and wherever his people set themselves to pray and to fast. So I love, I love this, this, this evening. A group of people just get this. It's not a program, it's not a, it's not a church, it's not in our small group, but it's just the people of God who just said, we want to pray for the sex industry. We feel caught up to pray for injustice that's happening in our, in our communities. Within a half a mile radius from here, there'll be a number of brothels, a number of uh, institutions like uh, structures and systems that are set up to, uh, to abuse women, to prostitute women. Just to, if you just take a half, hour, half a mile radius from here, there'll be dozens and dozens of other, if not hundreds, of places around here which are being used in, in this way. So, we believe, don't we, that the church has got something to say. But what I love is that at the core of it all is this idea of praying together, fasting, praying together for, for God to show up. Uh, one, that's, one I'm going to attempt to do this morning is to just tell some stories in God's Word and throughout church history where this lifestyle of prayer and fasting has, has had a massive impact. It would be tempting for me I could spend a, a number of sermons talking, and I could be tempted for me to give you a load of shoulds today. Like, you should fast. You should fast, like, five times a week. Um, you should, you should, you should. And we feel already, don't we, oh, no, Steve's about to tell us what we should be doing. Um, let me just say one thing. It was assumed by Jesus that we would be developing a lifestyle of fasting. It was assumed that fasting was part of our, uh, of our makeup. So let's have a read of it. And uh, it's found in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, the words are going to come on the screens. Uh, if you want a Bible, if you, if you don't own a Bible, there's some at the back. Please take them without compliments. Uh, but this comes in um, Matthew 6, verse 16 to 18. And this is Jesus speaking. So he says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face 
so that it will be, not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what's done in secret, will reward you. So, Jesus is talking about fasting, but he's also talking about these three pillars of piety, these three things that we do before God. That in the Jewish tradition, they would have taken them as these three pillars. So, giving, prayer, and fasting were all these parts of the discipline in the Old Testament. And so Jesus picks this up and says, we don't just give, we don't just pray, we don't just fast, but we do it before the Father. So this revolutionary introduces this idea that the Father, we do it before the Father, not before other people. We don't show ourselves that we're giving. We don't show ourselves, we don't stand in the middle of the, we don't stand outside Ballam uh, train station and say, I'm just going to pray. But no, it says, go before your Father in the rain. And the same here with fasting. We don't just show off that we're fasting. We do it before our Father in secret. Um, and as I was saying, throughout the Bible, the fasting is, um, is done. And there are many, with fasting now, there are many huge scientific, uh, neurological and physiological benefits of fasting. And so fasting's become a bit of a trend these days. Um, like the two in five. Five two. Five two, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the five, yeah, fast for five days, eat for two days. No. The, the five and two diet, or reducing calorific intake. Um, but fasting is done in conjunction with praying. So uh, fasting your seatbelt, fasting your seatbelt. So here we are, Esther in the Old Testament. Esther, she was the, uh, a, a Jewish virgin who was chosen to be the queen of Persia. She was, uh, and, she was called, and what she did is she called uh, all the Jews under the Persian rule to take a solemn fast. And she abstained from food, all food, and drink for three days. Why? Because the very life of her people, the Jewish people, were hanging in the balance. So she took this idea, we need to fast. We need to come together and fast. Uh, let's skip ahead to Cornelius in, the, um, uh, in Acts, in the New Testament in Acts. Uh, Cornelius, he was a Roman centurion, and he commanded this elite band of, of soldiers, and they were called uh, the Italian Band. And uh, he was a devout worshipper of God. He hadn't decided to follow Jesus, but he, he really liked God. And so he would worship God, he would give alms to God, he would give to, to God and, uh, and the communities. But he wasn't a Jewish, he wasn't Jewish, but he prayed constantly to God. And he was compassionate and generous to the poor. And this had won him a good reputation because of that, uh, in, for the Jews in that area. And so in Acts 10, it describes this angelic visitation from God. And he was told, this angelic visitation was told him to go and see Peter, go and meet Peter the Apostle. And this is what he said to Peter uh, in Acts 10, verse 30. Cornelius answered, three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour. At three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and he, and he said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. I want, I, I, I want to propose that perhaps it was no accident or coincidence 
that Cornelius, he was the first Gentile, so the first non-Jew to convert to Christ, and he was a Roman, the first non-Jew. And it's significant that Cornelius was constantly praying to God. He was constantly praying to God. And he was, it was no accident that he received a supernatural visitation from, from God when he was fasting and praying before the Lord. There's a story in Acts 20, 27. We'll skip ahead a little bit. Uh, the Apostle Paul. There were uh, around 270, 275 passengers on board the, this Egyptian ship. And they were headed towards, towards Rome. And, they, and he observed this 14-day fast. And uh, the ship was nearly destroyed at sea, but, but it's through Paul's prayer, fasting before God, that wisdom came through Paul to, uh, to save all of those lives of the, of the shipwreck, potentially shipwreck disaster. Uh, and what Paul did is he, he managed to persuade the Roman centurion to go against all military procedure while, before they'd been shipwrecked. Military procedure would say, let's kill everyone. But Paul managed to persuade this Roman soldier to go against uh, the, the decree, thus saving all of these lives, hundreds of lives, during the crisis. Daniel, in the book of, in the book of Daniel, funny enough, uh, he took a solitary fast. He felt God said, take a solitary fast. And in that fast, he protracted prayer before God. And it literally, that one man... Praying and fasting saved a nation and prevented demonic principalities from hindering God's purposes for Israel. Jesus, of course, he fasted for 40 days and he overcame uh, the enemy's temptation. And before being released in his ministry, he spent these 40 days uh, in the power of the Spirit. Um, and in the Sermon on the Mount, he's describing these, uh, these three pillars, when we give, when we pray, and when we fast. And later on in Matthew, he, the, the disciples, they failed to cast out a demon out the boy, out the boy who had severe epilepsy, he was told. Uh, and the, the boy would often fall into fire and water because of this medical condition. And Jesus called for the boy to be brought to him because the, di the disciples went to him and said, uh, we can't drive out the demon. We can't drive out this, uh, this illness. And Jesus, he, he rebuked the demon, causing the, these episodes. And the disciples asked, why, why weren't we able to drive out the, uh, this from the boy? And Jesus began to explain about, if you have a faith the size of a mustard seed, they could say to the mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And he continued and he reminded them, nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind of prayer requires prayer and fasting. So you see that Jesus, he's, he's talking about prayer and fasting. I remember um, uh, a couple of years ago, Viv and I were praying for, for a guy in our house. We'd met him on the streets. He wanted some prayer because he, he told us he had some demons. I think that's what he said. He, said. he had some demons and he wanted some deliverance from those demons. And so... Um, Viv and I and another lady, we, we gathered around and we prayed. And yeah, there, there was some, uh, what can I say? It's like, I don't know if you've watched movies where 
there's manifestation and then there's growling voices and all kinds of things. Well, at the time, I was praying for him. I, was sort of, I had my hand on him. But my dog, our dog Charlie, many of, you, many of you met him. Charlie was like, let me at him. Let me at this demon. And I was, so I was praying for this guy, but holding Charlie back. Like, many of you met Charlie. He doesn't do that. And then, let me at him. So I was literally like, what? what um, well, anyway, the guy, I guess his demons left. And then, uh, what was amazing then, Charlie came down, and Charlie just sat by this guy's feet, as if like this peace had like, landed on him. It was amazing. It was amazing. Um, we don't believe that everything is caused by demons. We don't believe that, oh, I tripped up today, that, that must have been a demon. Or, you know, I didn't, have a, I didn't get a car parking space. Oh, that demon. <laughs> Um, but, or that every medical condition is caused by, you know, every mental illness is caused by a, by a demonic demon. We've got to pray the demon out. Uh, but also, it would also be equally naive to think that there isn't any demonic activity. Both extremes are probably, probably naive. Uh, and we've seen ourselves. Uh, I remember we were at a, a festival, and one of my friends, um, he's a South African, so he loves that kind of, and he said to me like the day before, I just want to pray out a demon. I want to just like go And so we're in this big tent in the middle of Somerset. And um, this guy next to us, I was praying for one guy. And, he's, and again, he started sort of, not growling, but you could feel it. While I was praying for him, I, text, I texted him, uh, Patrick. I said, I texted Patrick and said, there's one here, quick, come to, come to venue two, there's one here, quick. And by the time he came, it was all over. And uh, it was really, people said, you should call me, I'll, I'll be there, I'll be there. Um, I can honestly say that some, sometimes uh, this fasting and prayer, lifestyle of fasting and prayer, uh, it, I'm not going to say it attracts demons or it attracts that, but you, you feel more spiritual, you feel more powerful when when you've when you when you're developing that, that prayer. Uh, so so fasting's found in the Bible. But also it shows up in the last two thousand years of church history, where ordinary men and women like you and me need an extraordinary God uh, and extraordinary provision and perseverance to overcome ob impossible obstacles where the odds are against you. And uh, I, can, I can honestly say, these, uh, these next few people, um, throughout the church's existence, revival breaks out when people seek God through prayer and fasting. The first worldwide missionary movement, again, it's found in Acts, Acts 13. This context of the explosion of the kingdom, the kingdom of God is one where the church prayed and fasted and then God, and then God sent them out. Um, you also find, you know, in, in 110 AD, so I've, I've just been researching these last few days, what's been happening in the last 2,000 years, and uh, I think it's a short period of time. Uh, Polycarp, in 110 AD, he, he had the believers fast so they would overcome temptation. Martin Luther, the great reformer, fasted it as well. 
when he laboured over the ancient scriptures to translate them into the German language. He combined his work with prayer and fasting. And so I'm not surprised that this tra his translation, his German translation, has been stated as one of the most accurate and the most inspiring Bible translations there are. Virtually all the great, as I've read, virtually all the great evangelists, healers, deliverance people that God used, fasted and prayed. Charles Finney, uh, the great revivalist, wrote in his biography that he'd had frequent days of private fasting. And he said this, he said, whenever he found the battery charge of his spirit, he said that uh, when he felt that battery charge going down, and when he felt the anointing just leave, he would force himself into prayer and fasting to recharge so that he could feel recharged. Um, let me just describe some of those recharging events in Charles Finney. Uh, so Charles Finney, he would enter a city and start his crusade. And um, he went to the borders and the boundaries of, of the city um, and people would start crying just when they're around him because of what he described as the spirit of repentance would fall on them. Uh, Finney, he would enter a warehouse and do a, do a public meeting and people would fall down. They would be, you know, talks about being slain in the spirit. They would literally be, would fall down. Whether they were, they were believers or unbelievers, or saints or sinners, as he described. And these, record, these episodes were recorded in newspapers and journals at the time. The day that the presence of God went with Finney in so much power that people were just slain and saved on the spot. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, the, the preacher, and he... His famous sermon was The Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Imagine that sermon. Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Um, during the sermon, people in the audience, they felt as though the ground had opened up beneath them to reveal the depths of hell, causing them to cry out to God for mercy, for his, for his judgment and mercy, crying out for his forgiveness. And Edwards, in his journal, he states that, the preparations for the sermon were done with prayers and fasting. John Wesley, he staunchly believed in fasting. And he personally fasted. He personally fasted every Wednesday and Friday. Those were his days. He was so convinced that fasting should be ma mandatory for all ministers, ministerial candidates, those who, um, people who are going to pastor churches, uh, people who are going to evangelise, that he said, um, he said he made it mandatory for his, for his lay people. And Wesley, he became so powerful um, in his preaching that he became one of the primary voices in the Great Awakening, as it was described, the, the great revival that happened in, in England and in the United States. Some historians say that the bloodshed and the widespread of the French Revolution at the time in Europe could have easily spread into England, except, and what they've said is, except for Wesley's preaching. It's almost, what they're saying is, Wesley's preaching and his lifestyle of prayer and fasting held back bloodshed in, in England. And you know what Wesley said? What he gave the credit to? Come on. Get it by now. What is it? Prayer and fasting. In his journals, he says that the power, the extraordinary power, 
had only come on me because of prayer, much prayer and fasting. The great preacher and teacher Charles Spurgeon, he vigorously encouraged fasting, as did the American missionary um, to the Indian, David Brennard. David Brennard. Uh, he combined fasting with prayer. We're starting to get it. Uh, there was a, a devout Hindu, a devout Sikh, a Sadhu Sandar Singh. He was a devout Hindu Sadhu. Uh, he, he was a holy man, and he was converted to Christ because of an open vision that he had. And he then devoted the rest of his life to spreading the gospel, and he became known as the St. Paul of Tibet. And he simply stated this. Oh, sorry, yes. Uh, he was trying to attempt a 40-day fast. So we've had like a day fast, we've had 14 days. This guy... He tried a 40-day fast. Um, that's quite tough. That's quite tough. Um, I remember during Lent, so that's a time for us. During Lent, a time where we, we give up chocolate, we give up alcohol. Um, I was meeting with several church pastors at the time, and they were, they were a little bit... Uh, they didn't like healing. We were trying to trying to encourage them to join us on healing the streets. And uh, they said to me, Steve, what are you giving up for Lent? And uh, I just said legalism. <laughs> I said, I'm giving up legalism and being religious over Lent. And so they kind of looked at me, but I was a little bit grumpy and a bit sarcastic at the time. But most of us do a sort of a 40-day, maybe a Lent. Um, when this guy, when he, when he attempted this 40-day fast, he just simply stated what Jesus did. So I wanted to, to give it a go. And he said that um, he said that the experience strengthened his spirit and helped him to overcome anger and impatience. Anyone else do a little bit of that? Anyone else want to overcome anger and impatience? Just three of us. <laughs> Just three, just three um, Fast. And so, towards the current day, fasting has become common amongst great leaders. Um, when, you, when you're talking, when you're preaching and teaching, you're trying to think of well, about what not to say, because there's so much, there's so much to say, so forgive me. Um, what fasting isn't, let me just say this for a few things. What fasting isn't, isn't like you're putting your money in a slot machine in like the heavenly bank account and you're expecting a big return. Fasting's not about putting coins in the machine and expecting a big, big return. Nor is it you're trying to twist God's arm. God, I really want this car. Please, I'm going to fast today. If I, re I really want this car, please give me this house. Yeah. Biblically, uh, fasting isn't about twisting your arm or trying to build up a, a bank of um, what I What I think it is, is about a, a spiritual detox. What I've noticed is that um, in our society, so Jesus is talking about this upside down kingdom. Our society, it, it bombards us uh, in the media. It bombards us with a lifestyle, it bombards us with attitudes, 
And what fasting does is it helps just have that spiritual deep, uh, spiritual cleansing. Or it's like the great leaders talk about, it's recharge. If you need a recharge. I remember a few years ago, um, I went to a 24-7 prayer uh, center in Kansas. And uh, their whole community fasts uh, three days of the month, beginning on the first of every Monday. And so we turn up on the first Sunday of the month. And so we had to join, my, my friend and I, we had to join in on this three-day three day fast. It was there I got to taste the coffee. I didn't really like coffee before then, but uh, it was during that fast of food, we, uh, I started having vanilla lattes or whatever it was. Uh, Viv and I went there a few, few years, few years later, a few years ago, and uh, I made sure we, we went in the middle of the month. <laughs> one-two punch, this treatment against the germs. I think what our spiritual body needs is God's one-two punch of prayer and fasting. In our society, fasting has become trendy. This is what we must do. We must do fasting because it, it helps our diet, helps our, uh, our neuropathic, helps all kinds of things. But fasting alone, when I've known, when I've just done fasting alone, without the prayer, this is where God, God wants to inspire us, to take on this lifestyle of prayer and fasting. Um, but we're not, we're not allowed to talk about it, so we don't really talk about fasting, do we? Because we're going to get I used to fast every, every Tuesday for a few years. Every Tuesday I'd fast. And, um, some days it would be okay, other days I would be... Angry and irritable, um, fasting. Uh, even when I'm not fasting, um, <laughs> and uh, and for me, I felt God say, "Do this regularly. Do do take on this fasting regularly." And then sometimes I would mix in a couple of days fasting, and then sometimes I, I wouldn't do 14 days, but sometimes I'd do like a three-day <laughs> fast. Biblically, fasting is about food. Uh, fasting always involves food, and. Uh, uh, and so for some of us, it might be, we don't want to go into this religiousness, right, I'm going to fast because Steve, Steve's told me to. But sometimes God will be saying, there's a season I want to take you in, in, in prayer and fasting. Uh, if you want to be used by God, my recommendation is fast. So, we, so these last few years, as we've developed fasting as part of our not routine, ritual, but I know when we go out on the streets and we pray for people, or even at church, I, I felt a lot more energy. I felt a lot more 
authority. So the other day I was just walking through Ballon and I felt, and I, I was fasting and I, I felt this huge compassion for this area, for this community. And people were walking past me, they were bumping into me. But I just felt God's compassion for people. Uh, fasting does that. It increases compassion, spiritual authority, and just helps us to get cleansed, spiritually cleansed. Um, we may never talk about fasting here. Uh, I, I really want to encourage you. There are lots and lots of great books. If you want to pursue this seriously, come and, come and speak to me. We can spend hours talking about, um, talking about this book. Um, why don't we stand? Why don't we stand? And then we're just going to pray. So, it's, uh, we, we, do minute, we, do, we offer prayer at the end, and it's, I've been thinking about what kind of prayer would people want now? Can we get everyone up, up who wants, wants help with fasting? Um, I, I felt as I felt good as though um, we were to pray for those people. So this, this evening, we're going we're gonna to start, start a prayer meeting for uh, the sex industry. So I just felt, God said a few days ago, just for, for anyone who's involved in any kind of justice, any kind of uh, practical work with, with justice. So that could be uh, locally, nationally, you might be working with uh, people affected by injustice. Um, I'd love to, I'd love and honour you uh, to pray for you. So it's actually, why don't you come forward? We're going to get the band to come up as well. So if you're involved, or you work, or you study, or if God has given you this particular interest uh, for injustice, why don't you come forward? I just felt like God wanted us to pray for you and to honour you. Thank you.